Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, again, we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast back on the 11th of February in 2019. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Chester, you you made it. You're a little late, buddy. What? Oh, the ice, yeah. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. Chester was just telling me that driving in is pretty icy. It's crazy in St. Louis, isn't it, Chester? What, what, What we have, last time we were on the show, we did a live show, I started off by saying, welcome from the frozen tundra of St. Louis. Remember that? And then that week, that was two weeks ago, it got down to uh, about one below, and the wind chill was like 17, 18 below in St. Louis. The following Saturday, you remember what it was, Saturday and Sunday? 70 degrees, that's right, 70 degrees. And now today we're having an ice storm. Well, we had one earlier. They're saying it's, it's I guess it's tapering off now, right? Yeah, and you made it in. It's going to turn to rain, so hopefully that'll wash some of that ice away, and then we're going to have rain for the next couple of days. But that's the Midwest. What can I say? Well, welcome, everybody. This is Bob Rowe. This is Boomer Boulevard. This is the old-time radio program where we play old-time radio shows you actually remember from when you were a kid, if you're a baby boomer. But if you're not a baby boomer, that's okay. You'll enjoy these shows anyway. we got a great lineup tonight. I put this together, Chester, so don't worry about it. Yeah, We have uh, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. We have a Jack Benny show featuring uh, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall as uh, guests, and that was from 1947. We have an episode of Gunsmoke from 1955 that's all about young love. And then we have a little surprise visit from the folks on Wistful Vista Lane in the uh, person of Fibber McGee and Molly which is going to be one of the 15-minute shows that came from the mid-50s. So we've got a great lineup tonight. I'm glad you made it in, Chester. Hopefully all of you are in out of the ice and snow or whatever the conditions might be where you are. And now you can uh, get settled and make yourselves at home because we're going to get started in just a minute.
All right, are you in the mood for a little radio noir? Well, we have an episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe from April the 18th, 1950. And it's a pretty good one. It has a lot of good uh, good supporting cast in it. Of course, Gerald Moore plays Philip. Also in the cast tonight is uh, Joan Banks, Barney Phillips, Wilms Herbert, Howard McNear, uh, does a lot of Philip Marlowe episodes, Elliot Reed, uh, Frank Gerstle, and uh, Ann Morrison. Of course, this one was uh, directed by uh, Norm MacDonald, and I think the writer on this one is Gene Levitt, but I could be wrong on that, but uh, they'll, they'll announce it at the end of the show. So here we go, going back to 4-1850. This is The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, and the name of this episode is The Angry Eagle. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time I was in the country where the night should have been nothing but peace and quiet. But a pair of angry eagles changed all that. One was solid gold and too close to a battered corpse. The other weighed 160 pounds and was too quick with his fists. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Angry Eagle. Hello. Mr. Philip Marlowe, please. Clover Lake, California, calling. This is Marlowe. One moment, sir. Go ahead on your call to Los Angeles, please. Hello, Marlowe. Babe Durney. Remember me? Light heavy contender in 39? Oh, yeah. Sure, I remember you. Good. You still have that bar in Southgate? No, no. I'm back in the game. Oh. Trainer this time for a welterweight that's good. His name's Danny Eagle, and he's another Barney Ross, believe me. No kidding. Yeah, but he's in trouble. Come on out, will you, Phil? Clover Lake's only 20 miles. You can be here by 6. It's just outside of Malibu, up on the hill. Well, what's your boy's trouble, babe? Uh, plenty. And it could end up being his life. Now step on it, Phil. Oh, and, and listen, you're a sports writer from Detroit, not a private detective. You got it? Got it. Leave it now, babe. <laughs> an hour's drive to Malibu Beach in a film colony where the convertibles outnumbered the hard tops five to one. And another 30 minutes up into the mountains along a steep spiral of macadam which at every turn made more of the Pacific below and less of Malibu. Until finally I was at the top. To my right there was a dirt road which a freshly painted sign said led to Clover Lake Training Camp, private. Raleigh Lance, owner. I drove on into what turned out to be a converted summer hotel marked office couple of buildings that had been stables and maybe two dozen cabins spread out over a sloping green acre that led to a cliff's edge and the lake some hundred feet below. When I pulled in and parked in a gravel semicircle which was close to a roofed-over boxing ring, 
where a lot of muscles and sweatpants was making a punching bag sound like a machine gun. I saw Babe Durney coming toward me in ducks and white t-shirt, with an angry fighting eagle as in Danny on it. It was more bay window and less hair than last time, but still the same quick smile under a nose that spread over half his face, an extended hand that could have passed for a catcher's mate. Hiya, Phil. Glad you didn't take any longer. Things are worse. Oh? Danny got canned an hour ago, and he's burning up. Told Lance and his wife where they both could go, and I think he's going to personally see to it that they get there. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's this Lance? Oh, this Raleigh Lance. He runs this place, Marlo. Yeah. Strictly the big-time, big-shot manager. His seat at the fights has to be A1, whose license plate the lowest number he can get. Yeah, a half pint in French cuffs and built-up heels. He's got ten fighters there. Danny's one. And the wife? Oh, yeah. Myra. A lot of curves, a lot of war paint, never enough clothes on. Know what you mean. Yeah, well, also not much to keep her busy, and Lance hasn't got time to run around down in Malibu. Which means sheep size at the boys, huh? Yeah, Danny Eagle included. Not that the kid ever did anything about it, mind you. Figured ah. she was just being friendly. Come on, let's move on down by the lake like I was just showing you around. Hey, uh, Jersey. Yeah? You can quit now. Do a mile in the shower. Okay, babe. See you later. Anyhow, Phil, this morning, Lance and the missus had a beef when the big shot got mad, read Meyer off, and called Danny and tried the same thing on him. Didn't take, huh? No. Nah. So the boss canned him. The kid went back to his cabin and started kicking the fixtures around. That's when I called you. He's got a lot of temper, Phil. Yeah, but what do you want me to do? Help me get him out of here before he tangles with Lance. He said he wasn't going to get off the ground until things were squared away, and he... Oh, hold it. What now? Over there near the edge of the cliff. Friend of Lance's, just weatherwax. Well, that old man? Yeah, hayseed to look at or listen to, but he owns about every piece of land around here. Uh-huh. Rich, retired, and has just learned about prize fighters. Calls him gladiator. Glad- <laughs> <laughs> also, he's got a mud fence faced daughter he's real anxious to pass yeah, on. Yeah, also, he's coming this way. Well, hello there, son. Yeah, don't encourage Gab. It's his specialty. Well, well, babe, my boy, what shape are you in tonight? Oh, well, I'm not quite fighting, Trim, Mr. Weatherwax. Uh, I was just showing Mr. Marlowe here around the grounds. He's a sports writer. Sports writer? Yeah. Well, glad to make your acquaintance, Mr. Marlowe. Thank you. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, when I think about what I've missed all these years, not uh, following the Mr. ring... Mr. Weatherwax, I... excuse me, but uh, we're in a hurry. I, I, I want Mr. Marlowe to see the lake before it's dark. We'll see you dinner up the lodge later, huh? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'll look forward to that. Goodbye. Yeah, bye, sir. <laughs> the original windbag. Yeah. But, Marlo, like I was saying, I gotta have your help. Well, what can I do now? The kid's through, babe. Sure, but look, Phil, I know other managers. I also know the makings of a champ when I see him, and Danny Eagle's got the stuff. And? Okay, I like him. Ah. Phil, you gotta get next to Lance. If he thinks you're doing a feature on him, he'll be your best friend in a couple of hours. A little Napoleon. Uh-huh. And when I'm buddy-buddy, I steer him away from ordering his muscle man to play pretzel with Danny while you're trying to get him out of here. Is that it? That's right. Oh. I already planted that you're coming up here, so all you got to... Hey, look. Huh? Up at the lodge on the porch there. That's him and Myra going in the office. My cue. Mm-hmm. Okay, but first tell me one thing, babe. Does Danny know about me? No, no. He turned against me if he did. He likes to settle his stuff his own way. That's why you gotta get to Lance. In or out of the ring, it still takes two to make a fight, Phil. Yeah. All right, babe, I'll do my best. Yeah, Philip Marlowe, Detroit Daily News. Wonder if there is such a paper. No, it doesn't sound too bad. Listen, Myra, I don't want any more trouble with you. I'm fed up. Oh, You're fine. fed up. You? Well, that's funny. You drag me up here and expect Shut up. me to. And try real hard to understand this. I dropped ten grand. 10,000 berries last night on that punk Steve Rocker. I'm not very happy. So you want a fighter who stinks. What's that got to do with me? I don't know. 
But if you'd let him alone, he wouldn't look so tired in there. Of all the cheap cracks you've ever made, that's about the... The what? Go on, say it. You never flirted. You never played up to him. You were only being friendly. Go on, spit it out, why don't you? Don't think I won't. When we're alone. Oh. Uh, excuse me, I didn't mean to eavesdrop. I was looking for Mr. Lance. Raleigh Lance? That's me. What do you want? My name's Philip Marlowe, Detroit Daily News, Mr. Lance. Oh. Uh, oh, yes, uh, Come in, Mr. Marlowe. Oh. Uh, there was a note here on my desk that I should expect you for an interview. Uh, glad to see you. Oh, thank you. I don't believe I've... Uh, uh... Oh, oh, uh, my wife, Mr. Marlowe, uh, Mrs. Lance. How do you do? Hello. From um, Detroit, you said? Yeah, yeah. How are things at the Beaver Club? That's quite a spot, I hear. Oh, yeah, quite. I used to go with a reporter there. He told me about some wild parties at their press club. Busy Beaver Nights. They used to call them. Yes, busy beaver night. Lots of fun. Mm -hmm. I'll bet. Uh, Myra, Mr. Marlowe and I'd like to talk a while, so, uh... So I'll be running along. It was a pleasure, Mr. Marlowe. Thank you. Goodbye, Raleigh. I'll see you later. Yeah. Well, Mr. Marlowe, have a chair. Have a drink? Yeah, I will, thanks. It's quite a spot you have here, Mr. Lance. Uh, make it Raleigh, fella. All right. Yeah, it's okay, but uh, you're not up here to write about a training camp, are you? Of course, I I know background counts, but, well, like this drink, the, the soda helps, too. But the scotch is the thing, huh? Health. Same. <coughs> yeah, yeah, you're right about that scotch. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Lance? What is it, Kelly? I'm busy now. Well, it's about Danny Eagle. Did you give him his walking papers? No, Big Dirty stopped me, Mr. Lance. Said he'd give Danny the word himself that he could handle him. That fat pug! Who does he think he is? Well, he said he just didn't want trouble, Mr. Lance. Besides, he said Danny was taking a walk. Yeah? Well, I'm going to give him the air, too. I've got enough enemies without some lousy trainer who's on my own payroll. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Milo. I'll only be a couple of minutes. Sure, sure. Help yourself to another drink. Uh, we'll talk later after dinner, uh, about eight. Oh, and, uh, here... Catch. Yeah. Best cigar made. Let's go, Kelly. Uh-huh. Best cigar. Seats marked A1. Yeah. Hey. Huh? Don't go away mad. My hubby always runs out on people. Even private detectives. Slips, huh? Busy beaver night, indeed. I made it up. I never even heard of Detroit. Why'd you bait the trap? Oh, Lance, the jealous jerk, has threatened to hire a detective a half dozen times. Oh. After all this fuss over Danny Eagle, you were about due. Well, shall we walk? It's a nice night. Let's leave it that way, huh? What do you mean? Isn't Danny enough for one day? Listen, mister, you're starting off with two left feet. I was friendly with Danny Eagle, period. And Steve Rocker? The same. Only Steve was a little dull. A mind dedicated to comic books. All fighter. Not according to his last bout. Yeah. Rocco moved like he was drugged and collapsed in the third, so it's my fault. Oh, the big shot is quite a loser. And don't bother with your next question. I can feel it coming. Why have I stuck? Yeah, well, it belongs here someplace. Well, I've stuck because... Well, because I thought that 
Each battle was going to be our last. That sooner or later, he'd have time for me. He's a busy guy, Myra. So was King Solomon, but he always had room for his wives. True, true. <laughs> I thought this place was going to be our answer. Just the two of us, plus the peace and quiet of the country, with Malibu on hand for a change of pace. So what happens? Still busy, huh? Yeah. So busy that he spends eight hours a day with Jess Witterwax, a guy he never heard of until he started this camp, but a guy who thrills to hear the lives and loves of Raleigh Lance. And that leaves me with his daughter, Clementine, if I don't talk to the fighters. Clementine, whose shoes are number nine, with an IQ to match. Good night. Uh, wait a minute, Myra. Where are you going? Going as far as my cabin in an old-fashioned cry. Or maybe just an old-fashioned, I don't know which. Good night. When Myra pivoted on a spiked heel and stomped off into the dark, I knew that I had to move fast because when next she and hubby met the fact that I was a private detective was going to become public domain. And from there on out, I'd be of little use to Babe Durney, and if Lance's muscle playmates caught up to me, of no use to anybody. I located Danny Eagle's cabin among half a dozen others, peeking out of a thick grove of pepper trees, showing light from a half-open door. Hey, anybody home? Inside, there was a closed valise on the edge of the only bed. And on the dresser, some money, a package of lemon lifesavers, and a tie clasp. A gold one with a gold angry eagle on it that said Danny was still around. Then he got to talk for himself. I think you're in the wrong cabin, mister. I haven't vacated yet. Uh, well, don't you think it'd be easy all the way around if you did, Danny? Right now, I'm not looking for the easy way, mister. I've been walking and thinking about that. That and a pair of people I don't like. A pair I want to square myself with. Mr. and Mrs. Raleigh Lance. Oh! Oh. It was purely a case of mistaken identity. But it served as a reminder that it still took two to make a fight. And that the only chance I had left was to get next to Raleigh Lance and keep him away from Danny Eagle. I spent a half hour going from the lodge to Lance's empty cabin to the dining room and every other place where I thought he might be. But finally, I remember Jess Weatherwax, the one-man fan club whom I located back up at the office. Oh, hello there, Sam. He was peeling off his coat and getting ready for canasta with something uncombed and built like a length of pipe. Who had to be daughter Clementine. What can I do for you, sir? Uh, Mr. Weatherwax, have you seen Lance? Why, no, Mr. Marlowe. We just came in. Uh, you deal, dearest. Is it important? Very. Daddy. Oh, excuse me, child. Uh, Mr. Marlowe, my daughter, Clementine. Uh, How do you do? Very fine, thank you. Mr. Marlowe, Daddy told... Hey, Marlowe, is that you in there? Oh, oh, it's Babe Durney. Yeah, excuse me. Phil, come with me quick. What's wrong? Lance is dead, Marlowe. What? At the edge of the lake on the rocks. Accident? I don't know. Come on, Phil. Sharp lakeshore stones like countless fighters' fists had hammered all the life out of Raleigh Lance. And as we stared down at him, the circle of light from the electric lantern, Babe Durney's hand began to dance over the corpse. 
I took the lantern, turned him away from the twisted body at his feet, and sent him back up the path to camp. Find a phone and quietly call the police. After that, I took another quick look at all that was left of the little big shot. I went up the path myself and got as far as the jagged hole in the rail where Lance had gone through. I had just enough time to see a few things before I was met by Myra. Just like she'd been before, except for a handful of nervous fingers that just couldn't leave her neckline alone. I saw Baby tell me about Raleigh. Is it true? Yeah, it's true, all right. Your husband's dead. Mm-hmm. Babe just left, so you must have been on your way here when you ran into him. How come? I had a date to meet my husband. For a chat. Why here? He didn't strike me as being the romantic type. He wasn't. Neither was he the type to talk where he could be overheard. Especially when he was cornered. What do you mean? I put Raleigh's back against the wall tonight. I finally got hold of a way to make that inflated ego turn loose his favorite trinket. Meaning you? Yes. Marlowe, about an hour ago, I found out that Raleigh was crooked. Fixed fights? Yeah. When I left you, I, I went to our cabin for a drink. That liquor was all gone. Lance kept spare bottles in the back of his closet, so I went to look. Found what? A briefcase. It wasn't Raleigh's, so I opened it. It was $35,000 in it. And a note congratulating him on his coaching of Steve Rocker. Rocker was drugged in that last fight, Marlowe. Raleigh sold him out, and I can prove it. Oh. That's what you two were going to hash out over here, huh? The price of your silence, which was divorce. And no strings. Told me he wanted to think, then he was going to give me his answer, but now... (laughs) That's all unnecessary. You're so right. Myra, come here. I want to show you something. See? Here on the ground? What do you... No, I don't see anything. Somebody put up quite an argument right here before Lance went through the railing. Oh, yeah. Yes. And here's something else. What's that, Mama? It's a gold tie clasp, baby, with an eagle on it. Danny? Yeah, Danny Eagle. This changes things plenty, huh? Danny? I can't believe Danny would... Murder, Raleigh. Well, you better start believing it and get back to your cabin and stay there with the doors and windows locked. You think he might go for me You were half the beef. Now that he's gone this far, chances are good he's got something nice thought up for you, too. Unless I'm making the king-size mistake and you and Danny turn out to be a team. Are you crazy? It could figure both ways, baby. So I'll keep it in mind until I get something more to do with it. Meanwhile, like I said, take care of yourself. dropped the tie clasp into my pocket and then started looking for its owner who could be number one candidate for a noose. I decided to try Danny's cabin first, but when I got there, it was dark with everything just as I'd left it. Until I turned to go. Someone was framed in the door. It was the gentleman farmer and novice fight fan, Jess Weatherwags. You're looking for something special, are you, Mr. Marlowe? As a matter of fact, I am. Uh-huh. I figured you would be, what with being a reporter, because... Because I know there's been some kind of a ruckus here tonight. How did you know there was trouble here? Well, I happened to be passing by a certain phone a few minutes ago, and I heard that trainer, Babe Durney, calling the police. Oh. Okay, as long as you know that much, you may as well know the rest. Somebody shoved the boss of this place out through a railing into a hundred feet of thin air. He's dead. Well, Lance murdered? By one of his own men? Oh, no, I don't believe it. He's a good manager. His boys loved him, every one of them. You should be so loved, especially by a guy like Danny. Danny Eagle? None other. And that's only half of it. Your good manager, Mr. Lance, was a fight fixer. 
One who'd even drug his own stable to be sure to lose. He was as crooked as a hyena's back leg. He, he prearranged boxing fights? That's putting it mildly. His own, own wife, Myra, pinned that on him just tonight. She didn't go into details. She didn't have to. She had enough proof to make it stick because she was getting a divorce on the strength of it. Oh, I find it mighty hard to believe all this, Mr. Marlowe. Here's something else. I'm not a reporter. I'm a private detective. You're a private detective? Yeah, called in by Babe Durney because he was worried. Now I am. Anyway, here's what I'm getting at. If you're really sincere about liking your violence according to Marks of Queensbury rules, you can do me a big favor. Uh, what can I do? Keep an eye on Myra Lance for me. Uh-huh, yes. I left her in the cottage. Dan Eagle may be only half finished with what he started. I'll do my best. You can count on that, sir. Okay, I'm going up to the office at the lodge now and find out if anyone saw Danny leave the grounds. I'll see you. story material from the box fighters? For a couple of novels, Clementine. You alone here? I am now. My daddy and I were playing canasta, but he left a while back. Went off without his coat, too, see? Ah, uh, I know. You've been here in the office ever since, huh? Why, uh, yes. Why? Maybe you can help me. <gasps> Did you... Gladly. But you've just got to help me first, Mr. Marlowe. Have you got a cigarette paper? A cigarette paper? Mm-hmm. The Macon's. I'm oh. trying to roll me a cigarette. Ran out of mine. I found my daddy's tobacco, and then I absolutely emptied his coat pockets here looking for a paper, but there wasn't any. You wouldn't happen to no, have it. No, no, no. I'm afraid not, Clementine. Oh. Here, have one of mine. They, oh. In fact, have two. Oh. Now, my question. How did you happen to see Danny Eagle go out the... Go out... Out the what, Mr. Marlowe? Huh? Oh, uh, never mind. Listen, Clementine, did this thing come out of your daddy's coat pocket, too? That old ticket stuff? Yeah. Uh, out of that little pocket in the big one on the right side, it was... Well, Mr. Marlowe, what's wrong? I don't know. But I better find out right now. As I ran out of the office and passed the empty rope ring toward where the cabin stood, I was full of the conviction that Clover Lake training camp was due for a second corpse any minute. Only this time I knew that some fast adjectives I myself had tossed off and not a hot-headed fighter were playing cause and effect. As I made for the door of the Lance cabin, there was no help in the fact that my volunteer guard, Jess Weatherwax, was nowhere in sight. I called Myra's name twice and still got no answer. So I stepped back to go to work on the door with my shoulder when the lock turned from inside. What? What is it, Marlo? What are you doing here? At the moment, Myra, baby, I'm counting lucky stars, the kind that kept you hale and hearty in spite of me and my big mouth. I'm... I'm afraid I, I don't know what you mean. I mean I almost spilled all, including the clincher, which was where you could be located. All this, mind you, to the guy who no doubt was in it with Lance right up to his Adam's apple. And the fact that you're still breathing means that he must have given up and beat it because as a topper, I sent him here to guard you. You... Say, what's the matter? Aren't you even curious? Why... Why, yes, sure, of course. So am I, Marlowe. Don't move. Oh, no. You have a talent for stupid audacity, young man. Meyer's still breathing because up to the point where you knocked on this door, she still didn't realize my connection. But when you showed up, I couldn't take a chance. I was forced to bring this gun into things and wait behind the door. Now, obviously, you both know. And I was so relieved you still had strength enough to open the door, Myra. I stepped in shin first and was happy about it. Well, I... I... I was afraid to warn you. Well, it's your move, Weatherwax. What'll it be? 
I have no choice. What? You'll have a lot of bodies to crawl out from under, Buster. That won't be too hard. Dan is already framed for Raleigh's murder. Framed by whom? By Raleigh Lance himself. Such a simple little plan. I worked it out as I worked out everything else around here. Uh, Just for the record, how is it supposed to go? Once Myra knew about Raleigh, she became dangerous to me. She had to be killed. So I told him how to set up the whole thing. You know, you're really enjoying yourself, aren't you? Frankly, no. But I just don't intend to take the rap for my late partner's stupid clumsiness. Oh, but this has gone far enough. Babe, look out, he's got a gun. (laughs) Duck, Myra! Still got a good right hand. My boy ain't gonna be framed for nothing. Babe, stop it. I'm gonna fix this guy. Lay off, babe, will you? Lay off. Lay off, I tell you. Lay off. Okay. He's gonna tell us the rest. Come on, where the wax talk. What actually happened on the path to the lake? Well? Lance set up the frame on Danny's. I told him to. By planting that eagle tag clasp at the weak spot in the rail. And then he he made a lot of marks on the path, like there'd been a fight. Go ahead. And after that, he went over to kick the rail loose. He tripped and he fell. All because of those shoes of his with the hard, slick soles and, and build-up heels. Oh, silly little man. <laughs> Well, it wasn't long until the boys from the sheriff's office arrived with a good doctor, a lot of open notebooks, and an endless supply of questions. But finally, all the pieces were fitted together. The very surprised Danny Eagle, who had done a lot of thinking, was back from a second long walk. And the whole thing had boiled down to me alone at the bedside of a heavy-jawed trainer. Who had a happy look on his ugly puss for the first time that night. Our boy's going to be champ now, Marlowe, thanks to you. Oh, thanks to you, babe. <laughs> we were almost down for the count when you showed up. Hey, how's the shoulder? That's nothing. Hey, look, tell me something. How'd you back old Weatherwax into that corner? Oh, well, I found a ticket stub from his coat pocket with a number A2 on it. And Weatherwax claimed that he'd never seen a fight or met Lance until the camp opened up here. But that stub proved that just a month ago... He sat right beside Lance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Lance always had seat A1 at the arena. Check. In short, Weatherwax was a liar who dropped his guard. And in this racket, you do that just once and you're out. Yeah. Hey, see that the eagle keeps his guard up, will you, babe? <laughs> I'm going to be betting on him from now on. Don't give it another thought. Good night, Phil. And I didn't give it another thought. Neither did I think about an arrogant little guy whose phony heels and twisted mind had dumped him into his own trap. Or about a fat gambler who traded in perverted victories and rotten, hopeless defeats. Instead, I thought about the sun coming up over the hills. And a nice big platter with a ham omelet on it. And then a good, solid eight-hour sleep. Nothing else. You know, sometimes I think I have no soul.
The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Gerald Moore can currently be seen starring in Republic's The Blonde Bandit. Featured in our cast tonight were Joan Banks, Barney Phillips, Wilms Herbert, Howard McNear, Elliot Reed, Frank Gerstel, and Ann Morrison. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a nervous breakdown in a driving rain. A cape with a high collar and a tiny sliver of glass led me from the ballet and a beautiful dancer to the edge of a cliff and death. where Burns and Allen are heard every Wednesday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That one was written by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. I, I thought Gene Levitt was in there. Pretty good script. That was Philip Marlowe. The name of that one was The Angry Eagle. And it was first broadcast on CBS on the 18th of April in 1950. Philip Marlowe's scripts were always uh, designed to be pretty tough and gritty. Every once in a while, they were humorous, and I like those. They weren't humorous to be funny. They were sort of humorous to be, uh, not poignant. What's the word? Just human, just kind of human. And uh, I liked some of those scripts, but a lot of them were were really uh, tough and gritty, and they focused on the uh, blood and thunder action of the era. There was a lot of uh, writers that contributed. Gene Levitt and Robert Mitchell were two of the main ones. Also, uh, Mel Dinelli and Kathleen Height provided a number of scripts for Philip Marlowe. Levitt and Mitchell worked together a lot, and a lot of times they did uh, funny funny little humorous things. Uh, For instance, one time in one of their scripts, they had a character reading a Raymond Chandler novel. And Marlowe says, Raymond Chandler, Raymond Chandler. Haven't I heard that name someplace before? (laughs) So that was kind of funny. You know, usually they always would use very real locations and even landmarks in the Philip Marlowe show. Now, this show tonight took place in Clover Lake, and I don't know where that is exactly. I know it's above Malibu. And if you go from the uh, Ventura Freeway, and you go, uh, at that point, you're going, I guess, west. Uh, you go through a number of canyons and really uh, remote sort of areas. Now, there are some homes in there, but some of them are hard to get to. And a lot of those were homes that burned in that last bad fire that they had there uh, just a few months back. That whole area up there is very remote. And then you come down into the Malibu Beach Colony. Very interesting. If you've never read about the Malibu Beach Colony, Google that, and you'll find a lot of interesting things. That was sort of started by a person that owned, I think it was 27 miles of, of land. And and remember, this was back in the 20s. That was all very remote. You'd have to be there to see it. Malibu is just north of Santa Monica, and really up 
from Malibu on up to Oxnard, it's just beach backed up by huge hills and uh, sort of scrub brush. And the Malibu colony was started back in the 20s. A lot of film people came out and got land there. And for a while, they were allowed just to, it was a place for relaxation. But then they finally started selling the properties. Properties are very narrow, but uh, it is a gated community. But in California, uniquely, the beaches always have to be public by law. Uh, You have to have access to get to the beach, and you also have to... uh, make the beach public. So anybody can can use the beaches in California. That's a lot nicer than on the East Coast. There's a lot of states where there's private beaches, and that's never seemed right to me. But anyway, Clover Lake, I, I don't know where that is, but apparently it was up there. A lot of movies are filmed up in those canyons, too. Paramount Ranch was up there, and another, uh, another ranch, too, where they, they filmed a lot of Western movies, you'll see. A lot of war movies were filmed up in there. So anyway, Gerald Moore and Philip Marlowe usually use real locations, and that's always kind of fun for anyone that's familiar with the L.A. area. We'll have more Philip Marlowe in the weeks ahead. Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> Well, it's time to let our hair down, laugh a little bit. What do you say? We're going to listen to the Jack Benny Show from January the 5th, 1947. Remember, Jack did movie parodies fairly often, and he would usually uh, kind of show you how how the movie should have been, according to him. And that's what we're going to do tonight. He's going to have some fun with the movie To Have and Have Not, which starred Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, who are his guests tonight on this show. And so that makes it a whole lot of fun. Uh, did you ever see that movie, To Have and Have Not? It, it's one of the real classics and has some classic lines in it. It was released in uh, October of 1944. The story takes place in France, and Humphrey Bogart plays a fishing boat captain named Harry. And Harry just does not want to get involved in politics. He just does not want to be dragged into the war. And so he refuses to smuggle French resistance fighters into Martinique. But a resistance client is shot before he can pay. So Harry, wanting to get paid, agrees to help a hotel owner smuggle two fighters onto the island. Well, along the way, Harry meets an American girl named Slim. And I love that name. And, of course, she's played by a very young Lauren Bacall. And also along the way, when police take his friend Eddie hostage, who was played by Walter Brennan, Harry is forced to fight for the resistance. Well, that gives you the overall picture. If you ever get a chance to see it, watch it. In fact, I have a, uh, I think it's a Lux radio theater adaptation of it, and I'll try to play that. I was going to play it a few weeks ago, but I didn't have time in the schedule. So we'll, we'll look for that in the weeks ahead. But here you go. This is the Jack Benny Show from January the 5th, 1947. And 
a parody of the movie To Have and Have Not. The Lucky Strike Program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. gentlemen, as you all know, in the Rose Bowl game on New Year's Day, Illinois upset the dope. And here he is, and he's still upset, Jack Benny! Thank you. Thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don, for your information, I wasn't upset at all. I enjoyed the game very much. Certainly was exciting, wasn't it, Jack? Yes, sir, and what a score. Illinois, 45, UCLA, 14, and I'll hoist 103. <laughs> that was really something, wasn't oh, it? Oh, and what wonderful seats you had, Jack. Uh, how did you get such good tickets at the last minute? Well, Don, it wasn't easy. You see, even though I was born in Illinois, I've lived in California for the past 15 years. So in order to get two tickets, I called Governor Warren. You called the governor of California? Yes, yes. He couldn't do anything for me, so he called Governor Green of Illinois. Governor Green called President George Stoddard of the Illinois University. Uh, President Stoddard got in touch with Ray Elliott, the coach. Elliott got in touch with Buddy Young. And fortunately, Buddy Young happens to be a very good friend of Rochester. <laughs> so, so through Rochester, I not only got two seats on the 50-yard line, but I also got a sure thing in the fourth race at Santa Anita. <laughs> Say, Don, who were you rooting for at the game? Well, Jack, I didn't want to show any partiality, so I got a seat on the UCLA side and a seat on the Illinois side. Well, Don, how could you possibly sit on both sides of the... Oh, oh, of course. <laughs> And, Don, weren't you disappointed when you weren't picked as the winning float? Huh? <laughs> well, better luck next year. Hiya, Jackson. Hello, Phil. Phil, get your band ready and... Phil, what happened to your orchestra? Half of your boys are missing. Where are they? Look, Jackson, New Year's Eve was only five days ago. Give them time. Give them time. <laughs> say, what? Leave them alone and they'll come home, dragging their empties behind them. <laughs> I know, I know. But meanwhile, do the best you can with the boys. Oh, no, no. What's the matter, Jackson? Sammy, the bass fiddle player. Well, what about him? He's the best bass player in the country. I know, but look at his bass fiddle. It has six silver handles on it. <laughs> well, that's Sammy for you. If anything happens to him, he don't want us to go to no expense. <laughs> oh, no, fine. Look what he has carved on the bottom of it. R.I.P., what's that? Rest and Patrillo. Now cut that off! <laughs> and until something happens to him, tell Sammy to put down the shovel, use a bow, and blow out the candles on the music stand. Will you? Oh, uh, by the way, Phil, I saw you at the Rose Bowl game, New Year's Day. Oh, is that where I was? <laughs> Phil, you know where you were. That was a great game, wasn't it? What about that 103-yard run that Hoist made? Confidentially, Jackson, it was longer than that, but it won't go on record... What do you mean? He picked up the ball behind his old goal line, started down the field, ran up to the stands, asked me for my autograph, told me how to spell Harrods, and then went on to make the touchdown. <laughs> what? If he'd have waited for me to dot the I, they'd have nailed him on the 10-yard line. <laughs> 
Glad you showed you how fast that boy is. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Well, everybody's here now except Dennis. Where is he? I don't know. He hasn't come in yet. Well, how can we go on with the show if the cast doesn't get here on time? Oh, Jack, don't be mad at Dennis. I happen to know something that you don't know. Don't tell me he has three shows. (laughs) (laughs) No, Jack, it isn't that. It's something you won't believe. What is it? Well, all of a sudden, Dennis got a big crush on me. A crush on you? How come? I don't know. Someone must have told him I was a girl. (laughs) Oh, Mary, stop kidding. Has has Dennis really got a crush on you? Yes, Jack, and he's so cute. Ever since last week when I danced with him in that nightclub, he's been sending me notes and little gifts. Gifts? What did he give you? Oh, lots of things. His Boy Scout knife, a bag of marbles, three Coca-Cola bottle caps filled with mud. A ball of tin foil, a fish hook, and a stick of bubble gum. No. Yes, and I'm worried. Why? If you see me wearing his bicycle clip, you'll know we're engaged. Well, how do you like that? And Jack, you should see the note he sent me yesterday. Dennis sent you a note? Yeah, wait a minute, I'll read it to you. Oh, it's so sweet. My darling Mary, I hope you won't think I'm silly, but I keep your picture on the wall of my bedroom. I didn't want my mother to know who I'm in love with, so I took a pencil and drew a mustache and a derby hat on you. (laughs) I think I fooled my mother because now she's in love with you, too. Well, I'll be darned. And look how he finishes. I love you madly and passionately and will never forget the kiss you gave me when I took you home. Thanking you in advance for your next shipment, I remain... I remain yours truly, Dennis Day Well, that's the cutest letter I've ever heard Let's see that Mary, why has Dennis got the stamp pinned on the envelope? Oh, that (laughs) He says that ever since he fell in love with me He won't let anything else touch his lips (laughs) Well, gee, he must be hungry by this time That's her Shh, quiet Here he comes now Hello, everybody Hello, Mr. Benny Hello, Dennis Hello, Dennis Hello, Don Hiya, kid Hello, Phil Hello, Dennis Dennis, I said hello. Mary, don't make it so obvious. <laughs> obvious? All I said was hello. I know, but look how you're trembling. <laughs> Dennis, you're imagining things. She's not trembling. What are you trying to do? Break us up? <laughs> no, I'm not trying to break you up. Say, Mary, come here a minute, will you? I want to look at you. All right, Dennis. Gee, gosh. Well, what is it, Dennis? You look so much better without a mustache. <laughs> Dennis, what about the derby? No, thanks. I'm not hungry. <laughs> I didn't mean that. But anyway, kid, I know how you feel. When you're in love, everything is bright and sunny and cheerful. Your heart overflows with goodness. You feel nice towards everybody. Say, Jackson, did you hear about Fred Allen being voted the best comedian on the air? <laughs> there will be a short pause while Dr. Jekyll becomes Mr. Hyde. <laughs> Mary, it doesn't bother me at all. Anyway, I read about Fame Magazine selecting Allen as the greatest comedian on radio. What a choice. What's the matter with you, Jackson? Every time Fred Allen gets an award, you get mad about it. Two years ago, you got mad because they put his picture on the cover of Time. Phil, Fred's face was on the cover of Look. It was on the cover of Time. It was on the cover of Look. His face represented Time. (laughs) 
That burns me up. All right, all right. So he's not as pretty as I am. But you've got to admit he's got a great radio show. Some great show. Comes on and jabbers for a few minutes, then he calls... Portland, 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 Portland. For the first four years, people thought he was a conductor on a Greyhound bus. <laughs> Come on, Dennis, let's have your song. Okay. Sentimental reason sung by Dennis Day, and very good, Dennis. Yes, Dennis, I've never heard you sing so well. That's because I'm in love. <laughs> With me? It ain't your sister, babe. Woo, woo, woo! Dennis, behave yourself. And now, and now, ladies and gentlemen. For our feature attraction tonight, we are going to present... Now, excuse me. Come in. Well, Mr. Kitzel, what are you doing here? Pardon the intrusion, Mr. Benny, but I came over to thank you for the Christmas present you sent me and to wish you a happy new year. Well, well, the same to you, Mr. Kitzel. So you like the sweater I sent you, eh? <laughs> I have never in my life owned such a beautiful slop over. No, 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 Mr. Kitzel, you mean slipover. Slopover, I mean it's too big. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, why didn't you return it? Well, I like it that way because it makes me look like a hep cat. A hep cat? Hey, Babariba! Zip a dee doo dee! Hey, Babariba! Hey, Babariba! I know, I know. Do you also know the song about the cement mix master? Yes, yes, yes. 
And, Mr. Kitzel, I'm glad my present suited you so well. Yes, you know, I liked it so much, I started needing a pair of stockings to match the sweater. You did? Yes. But a funny thing happened. While I was sitting in the rocking chair, my wife came in and saw me knitting. Uh-huh. She got all excited and thought we was going to have another baby. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. By the way, Mr. Kitzel, as long as you're here, would you like to sit down and uh, hear the rest of the program? Oh, I'm sorry, but I got to leave. Oh, you should stay, Mr. Kitzel, because tonight our guest star is Lauren Bacall. Lauren Bacall. Who, who, who? <laughs> who, who what? Who, who's going? I'm going to stay. Well, good, good. <laughs> but, Don... Don, Don, you're mistaken about Lauren Bacall. She won't be here tonight. Oh, why not? Never mind. We haven't got time to discuss it. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Tell him what happened, Jack. Mary, we've got a program to do. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Anyway, Don, the oh. trouble started after you left the rehearsal yesterday at Jack's house. Jack's house. Jack's house. <laughs> Lauren Bacall hadn't showed up as yet to rehearse her part. And Phil and Dennis and I decided to stick around and play a little gin rummy. So we went in the den and sat down. Say, Jack... Where are you and Lauren going to rehearse? In the library. Then we can stay here in the den and play cards, can't we? Yep, that's all, that'll be all right. Rochester, will you bring in a deck of cards, please? Yes, sir. What? Shut up. What cards shall I bring? The red backs or the blue backs? Oh, it doesn't make any difference. Yes, it does. The reds are 40 cents, the blues 50. <laughs> bring them a deck of cards. They won't quibble about the price. Now, come on, Rochester. I want you to go in the library with me and help me get things ready. Yes, sir. Now, Rochester, uh, I want to make a good impression on Miss Bacall, so see that there's a nice fire burning in the fireplace. Move the uh, divan so it'll be nice and cozy in front of the fire. Uh, turn the lights down low, turn on the phonograph, and put on some nice, soft, romantic music. Want me to burn some incense and fan you with a palm leaf? <laughs> no, no, that won't be necessary. Now, let's see. I think these horn-rimmed glasses make me look a little too old. I guess I'll take them off. Uh-oh, boss. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Remember what happened the time Miss Ann Sheridan came over to rehearse with you and you took off your glasses? Oh, nothing happened. When Miss Sheridan came in, you rushed over to where you thought you saw her, put your arms around the bridge lamp, kissed the parrot, and said, Why, Annie, you bit me! <laughs> That's because it was dark. Now, let's see. Oh, that must be Miss McCall now. Rochester, you answer the door. I want to sit down and make myself look alluring. I mean, relaxed. Uh, there, uh, how do I look? Fine, boss, but aren't you overdoing it with that rose in your teeth? Rochester. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Ramona Benny. <laughs> the rose is for my lapel. Oh, answer, answer the door. Yes, sir. Is Mr. Benny at home? Yes, come right in, Mr. Cole. Oh, uh, Rochester, uh, who is it? Miss Lauren Bacall. Well, Lauren Bacall. You were expecting maybe Mrs. Nussbaum? <laughs> uh, Rochester, you can get lost now. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, come in, Lauren. Uh, this is in pleasure, Dieter. I mean, indeed, a pleasure. <laughs> uh, make, uh... 
Uh, make yourself comfortable. Sit down. No, thanks. I'll just lean here against the door. Gosh, Lauren. Seeing you there reminds me of your first picture, the have and have not. You were leaning against the door, just like that. And then you said your famous line. You mean, if you want anything, just whistle. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, Lauren... Lauren, shall we, uh, shall we start rehearsing? No hurry, no hurry. You got a cigarette? A cigarette? Yes, yes, yes. Here you are. Thanks. Match? Match. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, Lauren, that, uh, cigarette I gave you is a lucky strike. I know, and it's my favorite brand, too. Really? Yes. They're so round, so firm, so fully packed. So free and easy on the draw. Gee, Effie Boone never sounded like that. <laughs> Gosh, Lauren, I, I can just picture you in a bathing suit holding up that big tobacco leaf. <laughs> and you know, Lauren, lucky strikes are made of that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Well, what do you know? And I thought Mother told me everything. <laughs> Live and learn. <laughs> you must have learned a lot. Yes, yes. Well, now, let's start rehearsing. Here's your script. We're going to do a sketch based on your picture, to have and have not. You'll play the same part you did in the picture. Okay. Well, let's start. I'll take the uh, first line. <clears throat> Wait a minute, Jack. I'm supposed to lean against the door. Oh, yes, yes. I... <laughs> yes, I, I'm sorry. Well, we'll start again. <clears throat> You're sore at me, aren't you, Slim? Sure, Steve. I'm sore at you. I wanted to get even. I brought that bottle of brandy up here to make you feel cheap. But I'm the one who feels cheap. Well, you've only got yourself to blame, Slim. After all, what did I do? Nothing. What's more, you don't have to do anything. Oh, maybe just whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. No, Slim. I got a better use for my lips. <laughs> Come here and let me kiss you. All right, but first take that rose out of your teeth. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you know. I, I, I meant to put that in my lapel, in my lapel. Now, let's, now let's, start the, the, let's start the scene over again. <clears throat> you're, uh, you're sore at me, aren't you, Slim? Sure, Steve. I'm sore at you. I wanted to get even. I brought that bottle up here to Who make you... Who brought what bottle up where? <laughs> Phil! Hello, Curly. Well, St. Peter must have left the gate open and look who fell out. Well, oh, leave a lamp burning in the window, Mother. I may be a little late. Phil! <laughs> ah, yes, there's good news tonight. Phil! Well, introduce me, Jackson. Introduce me. All right, all right. This is Miss Lauren Bacall. Lauren, this is my colleague, Phil Harris. Well, hoity-toity, I'm a colleague now. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, now go already. Okay, okay. Now, come on, Lauren. Let's take that kissing scene again. Uh, we'll take that kissing scene again. Let's start where I... Hmm, who can that be? I left strict orders not to be disturbed. Mr. Benny, Mr. Humphrey Bogart's at the door. 
Humphrey Bogart? Oh, Jack, I forgot to tell you. Bogie said he dropped by here and picked me up. You know, he and I are married. I know. Who do you think played the violin at your wedding? <laughs> anyway, he can wait outside. We got a scene to rehearse, and we're going to do it. Uh, hello, baby. Hiya, Jack. Look, Humphrey, we're right in the middle of the rehearsal. Oh, that's all right, Jack. Go right ahead. We won't be long, honey. That's all right, baby. You know, Jack, I'm glad to see you again. You're my favorite comedian. I am? Well, that's good. Now, Lauren, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, Miss Bacall. Oh, by the way, what should I call you? Lauren or Miss Bacall? Mrs. Bogart. <laughs> hmm. Now, let's get on with the rehearsal, Mrs. Bogart. Start with your, uh, starting with your last speech. Okay. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. No, Slim. I got a better use for my lips. Come here and let me kiss you. <laughs> what a comedian. What a comedian. <laughs> Look, Humphrey, I'm trying to... Mr. Benny, there's a telephone call for you. Oh. Well, pardon me a minute, folks. I'll be right back. How's it going, baby? Oh, brother. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Say, uh, baby, I want you to do something. What is it? When you get to kiss him, just put one arm around him and run your other hand through his hair. Why? I want to find out if he really wears one. <laughs> Hey, uh, what does Benny... What does Benny want to be a great lover for, anyway? Well, why shouldn't he? After all, he played a romantic lead and the horn blows at midnight. You saw that, didn't you? Yeah, and they called our last picture the big sleep. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, what's this sketch you're rehearsing with Benny? To have and have not. We're rehearsing the big scene you and I did in the picture. Oh? Which one of you is playing my part? He's coming back. Oh, I'm sorry. I had to answer the phone, but, well, that's the price of fame. Who was it? Wrong number. I mean, my, uh, my sponsor called because he sent me the wrong number of tickets to the broadcast. Now, let's uh, get on with the rehearsal, Lauren. We'll start with my line. Well, you've only got yourself to blame, Slim. After all, what did I do? Nothing. What's more, you don't have to do anything. Oh, maybe just whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. No, Slim. I got a better use for my lips. Come here and let me kiss you. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jack. Hold it. You're doing it all wrong. Wrong? Yeah. When you get ready to kiss a girl, you put your arms around her gently, tenderly. What? Yeah, you're not supposed to grab her by the earlobes and pull yourself up. <laughs> Oh, I see. And now watch me. Come here, baby. Read that line again. Okay. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. No, Slim. I got a better use for my lips. Come here and let me kiss you. Like this. I get the idea. I get the idea. 
enough, Humphrey. Look, you can do that at home. Look. <laughs> Humphrey, I'm paying her by the hour. <laughs> Stop! I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> I, uh... I get the idea now, Bogey. Um, let you and I take it again, Lauren. Say, Jack, our gin rummy game's over, so I thought I'd come in here and watch you rehearse. All right, all right, but be quiet. Now, come on, Lauren, start with your line again. Okay. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? <laughs> you just put your lips together and blow. Ah, Slim. I got a better use for <laughs> Come here, I'll already kiss you. Like this. No, 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 Jack. No, no, you're doing it all wrong. Here, let me show you again. What? I'll do it with Mary this time. Are you ready, Mary? Am I ready? I was puckered up when I walked in here. But look, Mary isn't even... Come on, Mary. Come on, Mary. You take baby's line. Okay. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. Oh, no. I've got a better use for my lips. Come here and, and let me kiss you. Like this. Bogey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! What is this? What is this anyway? Step aside, Mary. I want to talk to Mr. Bogart. Yeah, and I want to talk to him, too. Dennis. Say, he's cute. You haven't got a chance, sister. I send all my Coca-Cola tops to Mary. Dennis, now listen to me, Bogart I saw you kissing a woman I love, see? And you ain't muscling in on my racket, see? Those lips ain't big enough for the both of us, see? Now get out of here before you get hurt, see? Get out, see? Out, see? Out, see? Out! Dennis! See? Come on, baby, let's get out of here This guy's tough Bogart, Lauren, come back! Dennis Dennis, I can't believe it You know what you did? You frightened Humphrey Bogart Sure Dennis, what's that you got in your hand? A picture of my mother. Oh, no wonder. Gosh, now, Lauren, will never be on my program. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart for appearing on my program tonight. They can currently be seen in their Warner Brothers picture, The Big Sleep. Well, I better rush home now. Oh, taxi, taxi. Oh, taxi. Oh, doorman, get me a taxi, will you? Look, bud, if you want a taxi, just whistle. What? You know how to whistle, don't you? Just put your lips together and blow. Oh, yes, yes. <whistles> well, what do you know? It works. <laughs> Oh, that was funny. <laughs> it's a good, good episode. I was just listening to that and laughing again, just laughing out loud. Jack Benny's show was the funniest radio show that there was. I don't care 
who you put it up against. I, I, I'll, I'll laugh out loud more often listening to Jack Benny than any other show. Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Boy, what a teaming, huh? What a team. I actually saw Lauren Bacall one time on the street in New York down in the theater district. I think at the time she was doing a show on Broadway, and now I can't think of the name of the show. It was a revival that she had done. Well, if you think of it, uh, give me a call. Just a couple notes on that show. Um, In the first part of the show, you know how Jack Benny always does a two-part show? Uh, First, he was talking about the Rose Bowl game, and then they went in and talked about uh, uh, the movie parody. But on the Rose Bowl game, uh, that was indeed the Rose Bowl game that year was um, held on January 1st, 1947. And it featured, it was the first game that featured teams from the Pacific Coast Conference and the Big Nine Conference, which later became the Big Ten. The Pacific Coast Conference later became the Pac-8 and then on the, what is it, the Pac-12 now, I think. But anyway, that was the first time they committed. They had a five-year commitment that they would play, the, the, the champion of each league uh, would play together or would play each other in the Rose Bowl. And uh, it was a five-year agreement to begin with, but it um, it lasted until 1999 when the uh, uh, Bowl Championship Series started. And so now the Rose Bowl is no longer absolutely going to be Big Ten against uh, uh, Pac-12, but it still usually is, isn't it? It's only on the years that they hold the, the, the actual championship game, I think, that it differs. Uh, let me see. It was that, that Rose Bowl in 1947 was considered the first modern Rose Bowl game, and all the records for the Rose Bowl kind of date back to, to that game. Now, Illinois did win, what was it, 45-14, to 14, I think, and they rushed for 320 yards, but at the, um, at the time, um, the Bruins, the, the UCLA Bruins, Al Hosich, Hosich or Hosich, uh, returned a kickoff, <laughs> 103 yards for a touchdown. And that, even though they lost that game, that was the talk of the game. And that was a record that still stands in the Rose Bowl, 103 yards. Also, one other thing, they talked about Petrillo very quickly in there. It seems like every Jack Benny show in this era talked about Petrillo, and we've talked about this before. Petrillo, I can't think of the man's first name now, but he was the head of the Musicians Union and had a very tight fist on the uh, on the musicians and what they could and couldn't do during that period. And so they used to joke about always having to clear things with Petrillo. Anyway, what a classic, classic episode that was. Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Boy, I'll, I'm going to listen to that one over and over again. Well, don't worry. We'll have more Jack Benny shows in the weeks ahead. Uh, I, I would play almost play Jack Benny every week, but I know some people might not be as crazy about him as, as I am, but anyway. Hey, do you, do you remember Chinese restaurants from the 50s and 60s? The Chinese restaurants that used to serve Cantonese-style Chinese food? Remember how you would go in and you would, um, if you had four people, you would buy a, a dinner. You wouldn't buy individual dinners. You'd buy a dinner for all four people at the table, and it would be served family-style. And you'd pass the dishes around and each take take apart. And then if you had more people along, if you had like six people or eight people, they would add another dish. 
or another dish, and everybody paid the same price. But they, the more people that were there, the more dishes they would add. And of course, the portion sizes got larger. Do you remember that? Oh, that was good food, too. That was a different type of Chinese food, and that was what was the staple back then. Things like chicken chow mein and barbecue spare ribs and, and fried shrimp and, oh, I can't think of, egg foo young. Oh, that was good. And it was always made fresh, not like what you have on these buffets today. Oh, that was, that was good. We had a Chinese restaurant in uh, St. Louis that still had Cantonese food up until a few years ago. But I don't even know if it's still there. And then my favorite one of all time was in Long Beach. There were several when I was growing up. But even as late as about eight or nine years ago in Long Beach, California, Lee Yin's restaurant on Atlantic Avenue, just, just uh, up from where my parents are, down from where my parents lived on Claiborne Drive. It was there for 30, 35 years, and it was always busy, always packed out. People loved it. But they finally, the only reason they closed it was because they got too old to run it anymore and their kids weren't interested in it. But so, yeah, Chinese food. Well, anyway, here's a very funny routine about a Chinese waiter back during that era. era and it is, uh, portray- he is portrayed by Buddy Hackett. How you do? What do you have, uh, six people? Yeah, you want to have the family dinner. Very good. The family dinner, you have a choice of soup. Then you get a spare lip or eight low. Then have three main dishes, two from column A, one from column B, and tea and rice and dessert. You want it? All right, sit down. Come inside first. Now, uh, what do you want to start off with the soup? We have the wonton soup with chicken egg drop and tomato soup with rice. What kind of soup do you want? You want a wonton? That's a one wonton, one egg drop, one more egg drop, two egg drop, one wonton. Yeah. What's that? No, we don't have a split pea soup. We have a wonton and chicken egg drop. No, we don't have a split pea. No, we didn't have it yesterday, and we don't have it tomorrow. We never have it. No, we look, your brother is a raya. We don't have it. Even we have it, we don't have it. A stupid idiot. No, what do you want now? Start over again. One wonton, one egg drop, one more egg drop. That's two egg drop and one wonton, right? Uh, will you shut up? You're on another table. What do you mix me up? Keep asking me questions, keep yelling out. Just sit still and shut up. Now they mix me up, I forget what's on my table. So hard to remember anyway. So funny, all American look alike. No, there's uh, one wonton and two egg drop. And one more egg drop, that's a three egg drop and one wonton. And one more wonton. And one tomato soup and one tomato soup. Now let's see what you got. You got two tomato soup and two wonton and three egg drop. Hey, you stupid idiot, you got seven soup. Who ordered two soup? Start over again. What kind of soup you want? Wonton. Why you say wonton, then you say egg drop? Never mind order for her. Her order for her. Just order for you. One wonton. Now one egg drop. One more egg drop. Okay, split pea, what do you want? You want a wonton. That's a two wonton, two egg drop, one tomato. Only five soup. First seven soup, now five soup. Six is your point. Start over again and make a very simple, even a stupid idiot like you understand. When I name a soup, you raise a hand, all right? Why you raise a hand? I didn't name a soup yet. Well, you don't have to ask me. Go ahead. Before you go, what kind of soup you want? Tomato. That's one tomato, two tomato, three tomato soup. Two wonton, one egg drop. Hooray, soup finish. And now you get a choice of spare lip or egg roll. You want a spare lip? You want an etlo? Look, no spare lip and etlo. Spare lip or etlo. 
No, both cost 75 cents extra. I don't care who sent you. What do you mean, split them up? I can split you up. Oh, for the good old days of the hatchet, man. Now take a three main dish, two from column A, one from column B. Column, C-O-L-U-M-N. I spell it, I just can't say it. Now you want to have the egg for young? Shrimp lobster sauce, lobster Cantonese. Wise guy, that's a two from B, one from A. You take a two for A, one from B. One fried rice, then one uh, sukkan chow mein, and shrimp lobster sauce. That's good. Now we'll take a dessert. Three almond cookie, two fortune cookie. Yeah, lady, tea and rice come free, I took. Oh, nice brand. Hello, Brandy. Oh, you all right. Meet me ready to get a ride in a rickshaw. Now let's see what kind of dessert. Three almond cookie, two fortune cookie. Stuff kumquat. What part of the United States you come from? I never see such a stupid group. Oh, just a minute now, I give an order in the kitchen. Hey, Shaw. It's magic. Oh, so sorry, people. The kitchen is closed. You took too long to order. How about a salami sandwich? Again, we invite you to listen to the transcribed adventures of Fibber McGee and Molly. The show is written by Phil Leslie and Ralph Goodman and directed by Max Hutto. What's that, dearie, mail? Oh, it's a menu from a restaurant. Somebody stuck it under the front door and rang the bell. Oh? It says, Lum Fong's Chinese Restaurant. Food to take out. Chuck it in the wastebasket, will you? Oh, Lum Fong's. That's the new restaurant that opened up downtown a few weeks ago, isn't it? Search me. You picked the wrong guy to ask that question. You know how I hate Chinese food. Say, I've got a wonderful idea. Ever since that experience I had in France during the First World War... Sure. ...the big war, with that lobster chow mein... Let's have Chinese food for dinner tonight. Here. Kiddo, maybe you didn't hear me. You know, France, during the war, the lobster chow mein story? I heard you. You must have told me that a hundred times. Every time we get within three miles of a Chinese restaurant. And I still think it's silly. Yeah? Well, if you were the one that had to eat it for six months just because the captain put a comma in the wrong place and ordered 100,000 cans instead of 10,000 cans... Did you ever have lobster chow mein for breakfast? With hotcakes? No, but... Or stuffed in a turkey for Thanksgiving? I know, I know, Ours but... was the only outfit that when we got up in the morning, each guy bowed to each other before we made our beds. Oh, stop it. When it was time for our outfit to go over the top, the lieutenant never yelled charge like the other guys. He yelled, gung-ho! McGee. Oh, I'm sorry, Molly, but me and Chinese food just don't go together. Oh, for goodness sakes. Look, McGee, I've asked you a dozen times to let me fix us a Chinese dinner here at home just once. But no, no, just because you had a sad experience in the Army... Sad experience? Have you ever had to set a table for 50 with chopsticks? Oh, for the... Forget it. Let's drop the subject. Good. It'd be such a treat for me not to have to cook dinner tonight. All we'd have to do is pick out something on this menu and order it on the phone. Well, let's forget it. Good. 
Wouldn't have to be lobster chow mein. They've got lots of other dishes we could... Molly. Yes, yes, dearie? If you're so set on Chinese food for dinner tonight, you call up and get yourself some Chinese food. But not for me. No, sir. I'll just cook myself a hamburger and eat it out in the garage. Oh, forget it. Come in. Good morning, my dear, and good day to you, Droop Snoot. Hi, Slickhead. Pull up a sofa and park the pork. Doctor, do you like Chinese food? Chinese food? Well, I never did, Molly, till a week or so ago. A new restaurant opened up downtown and uh, Cuddles... Uh, hmm? Miss Cuddleson and I went there for dinner. Lum Fong's, it's called. That's the place. Mm-hmm. Somebody slipped one of their menus under our door a while ago, and I thought it'd be a wonderful idea to have some Chinese food tonight. McGee won't hear of it, though. I had a bad experience one time in the Army, Doc, in the First World War. Yeah, I know, War. I know. You told me. But this place is just sensational, McGee. It's the greatest meal I ever had in my life. There, you see. It was just delicious. Well... What's the name of that dish again? Um... Wasn't any kind of chow mein, was it? No. It wasn't made with hunks of lobster. No, no. Oh, I remember now. This was called Sub Gum Bluey. Yeah. Now, McGee, you know how those names are. That doesn't mean it. No, it was made with pieces of lamb. Now, you like lamb. You know that. And uh, chicken. He loves chicken, Doctor. And kind of mixed vegetables with pieces of celery and herbs with the most wonderful flavor. And noodles, I suppose. I hate noodles. No, no noodles. Okay, it's a deal. Order it, Molly. Order it. Quick, Doctor. Hand me the phone. Here. Oh, good. Let me see now. We'll start with egg drop soup and maybe an egg roll and then... Hello, Lum Fong's Chinese. Hold it. Hmm? I changed my mind. Oh, dear. I McGee. I can't help it, Molly. I can't help it. I'm sorry, but I keep seeing those poor guys in France trying to smile with a mouthful of lobster chow mein every time the captain came in. Oh. The... You ordered. You go ahead and order. Get it for yourself. I'll cook a hamburger and eat it out in the garage, like I said. Oh, let's forget it. Well, thanks for trying, Doctor, but honestly, he's the stubbornest thing I ever tried. <laughs> I'm glad you dropped in, Wimp. Somebody to talk to. Molly's kind of annoyed with me today. Oh? Yeah. They stuck this menu under our door this morning from that new Chinese restaurant that opened up. Lum Fong's. Food to take out, it says. You ever hear of it? Oh, my, yes. We ate there last night. Sweetie Face, my big old wife and I. Yeah. Well, say, uh, she didn't by any chance order, uh, what was that stuff Doc Gamble said? Oh, yeah. Sub Gum Bluey. She order any Sub Gum Bluey? No, uh, Sweetie Face ordered liver and onions. Mm. I was the one who ordered Subgum Bluey. Oh, you did? Uh, well, how was it? Oh, I had a terrible time with it, Mr. McGee. Uh-huh, I thought so. Hey, Molly! Hey, Molly, come here a minute, will you? It would have been all right if Sweetie Face hadn't insisted on tasting it. <laughs> That's what gave me all the trouble. What do you mean? Well, she was so crazy about it, she wouldn't give it back. Huh? She made me eat the liver and onions. Oh. I thought you meant... I pleaded with her for the sub-gum bluey, but all she let me have was a teensy bit of sub, a weensy bit of gum, and a little dash of bluey. Oh, it was delicious. The stingy old thing ate every bit. Did you call me? Yeah, yeah, kiddo, look, I've changed my mind again. Let's order that Chinese food tonight, both of us. That sub-gum bluey, okay? Oh, wonderful. Hello, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Mr. Wimple. I've been told to agree that Sub Gum Bluey is terrific. So what the heck? Let's give it a try. Oh, you'll love it, Mr. McGee. I know you will, McGee. I'll order it for, uh, oh, six o'clock, okay? Fine, fine. I promised Mabel Toops I'd come over and help her sew this afternoon, but I'll be home before six and with no cooking to do. Hello, Lum Fong's restaurant. 
Uh, this is Mrs. McGee at 79 Wistful Vista. I'd like you to send over two... I hope Molly gets home from Toops's before that Chinese stuff gets here, because I'm getting hungry enough to eat it all by myself. So. Oh, McGee, I'm home. Oh, good. You and Maple Toops have a nice afternoon? Fine. We got a lot done. Well, bless your heart. Setting the table for Mama like a good boy. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I put the salt and pepper shakers on and Lum Fong's delivery boy gets here with the stuff, we'll... Oh, that must be the food now. I'll get the door. Oh, Hello. We kind of thought it would be you. Yes. It has been rather chilly, hasn't it? Here. Here's something for your troubles. Oh, heavens, don't mention it. Bye. Well, here we are, dearie. Steaming hot. Mmm. And a casserole dish, too. I guess they come by and pick it up afterwards. Mm -hmm. Watch that now. It's hot. Let's sit down. Good, good. Ah, you know, I'm as hungry as a cross-eyed cat sitting in front of a cuckoo clock waiting for the little doors to open. <laughs> mm, this sub gum blue is as good as it smells. I'll never say another unkind word about Chinese food. That was just fantastic, Molly. Mm, most delicious dinner I ever ate. I know you'd like it. Now, aren't you sorry you've acted so silly all these years about Chinese food? Yeah, yeah, I've been kind of unfair, I guess. Mm -hmm. Boy, that sub gum bluey was the most wonderful tasting stuff I ever flung a fang into. Boy, I've been missing some good eating by being... Yeah, stuff. well, that's all water under the bridge now. Mm -hmm. Open your rice cake there. I'll pour some more tea. Rice cake? Oh, oh, with the philosophical sayings in it, huh? Like, he who puts on kimono backwards in morning don't know if he's coming or going all day? <laughs> Here, here's yours. Thanks. Hmm, let's see. Boy, this is a long one. Read it. You are blessed with a beautiful wife who is a wonderful cook. <laughs> Go on. She was the one who cooked this sub-gum bluey dinner this afternoon at my house. I made the rice cakes. Signed, Mabel too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what, you mean... I've had that recipe for months now, but the way your back goes up every time I mention Chinese food... Well, if that isn't... Now, that... listen, don't get mad. If anyone should get mad, I should. Imagine having to ask Teeny to slip that silly menu under the door and ask Dr. Gamble and Mr. Wimple to drop by to convince you. Why? <laughs> and think of poor Martoops running through the streets with that hot casserole dish and that silly Chinese accent. Mort? Yeah, just to get my stubborn husband well, to... Well, I'll be sub-gum-blueyed. <laughs> you're cured of your silly prejudices about food, McGee. There are lots of good things to eat besides roast beef and mashed potatoes. Well, from now on, Tootsie, anytime you got a recipe you want to try out on me, you cook it and we'll try it. Anything. Good. You know, I've had a recipe for curried lamb that I've been Anything wanting. Anything but that curried stuff. I had a bad experience as a kid on my Uncle Sycamore's ranch with some curried buffalo that a camp cook fixed. You see, he curried his own buffalo. Skip and it. He Skip okay. it. Okay, okay. So long, everybody. See you tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> Fibber McGee and Molly Transcribed is brought to you Mondays through Fridays at this time by Miles Laboratories, makers of Alka-Seltzer.
Bill Thompson played Mr. Wimple and the Chinese Mort Toops, and Arthur Q. Bryan was Dr. Gamble. Well, tomorrow, Mr. McGee invades the world of the arts, only to discover that the road to fame as an aesthetic craftsman is rocky. This is John Wald inviting you to hear about it tomorrow. Goodbye. Today, listen to One Man's Family on most NBC radio stations. From February 8th, 1956, that was Fibber McGee and Molly in the Chinese restaurant. That was from their 15-minute uh, shows that appeared every day on NBC in the mid-50s. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, how that format changed uh, the next time we play one of these. But we're just running out of time. And it's time for Gunsmoke. Now. No. Oh. Yes, indeed, it is time for Gunsmoke, and tonight we have an episode that was first broadcast on CBS on the 29th of January back in 1955, and it's entitled Young Love. Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. (laughs) 
Rod, you sure that's Jesse Wheat's buggy coming yonder? I got eyes like an eagle, Box. That's his buggy, and that's Jesse driving it. Good. I wish you'd tell me what we rode down here to meet him for. Look, kid, we've been together six months, ain't we? Sure. Another month or two, we're gonna be rich. <laughs> Not riding for Jesse Wheat, we ain't. We're just about through riding for Jesse Wheat. Huh? Let's wait for him here. You mean you're gonna tell him we're quitting? I ain't gonna tell him nothing. What we're gonna do ain't none of his business. You're sure a hard man to understand sometimes. You'll learn. Oh, look at Jesse. He's kind of mad already. What are you men doing clear down here? We're going in to Dodge, Jesse. Uh, no, you ain't. I ain't paying you to spend time in Dodge. You just been there. I had business there. Now you men turn around right back to the ranch and get to work. For a man that don't carry a gun, you talk mighty loud, Jesse. I don't have to carry a gun. Don't you? Look at mine, Jesse. Point that thing the other way. No. Now, look, quit fooling. I don't like it. I ain't fooling. What you doing, Box? You're just going to make him mad. I'm going to kill him. Now, look here. I've had enough of this. You put that gun oh, away. shut up, Jesse. You shot him. Of course I shot him. What for? You're always asking questions. He wasn't even armed. He didn't do nothing. That's murder. Nobody will ever know. But why'd you do it? You wanted to get rich, didn't you? What's killing Jesse Wheat got to do with that? You'll see. You're in trouble. Murdering Jesse like that. You're really in trouble. No more than you are, kid. If they catch you. Don't you ever forget it. But I didn't know you was going to do this. That don't matter. Now we'll get that horse started for home. And by the time he and Jesse get there, we'll have our alibi all set and dodged. Nobody will ever know where or when this happened. See how smart? You stick with me, kid. Where are we going now, Box? We're going to set our alibi with a man who's going to be more interested in this business than anybody in Dodge. Who's that? Standing right up there. Oh, now, wait Shut a minute. Shut up, kid. I'll do the talking. Hello, Marshal. Uh, hello. Well, I guess you don't remember us, Marshal. Uh... No, I don't. Well, we only been in Dodge once before. I'm Jim Box, Marshal. My friend here is Rod Allen. Oh, how do you do? Hello. We worked for Jesse Wheat, Marshal. We was to meet him here, and we can't find him no place. Well, I saw Jesse last night. Maybe he's gone back to the ranch. That'd sure beat all, telling us to meet him and then forgetting all about it. Oh, that Jesse's getting too old. Why, we've been looking for him the past two hours. Box. Shut hey, up. Box. Like I was saying, Marsh. No. no. No, look. Well, I'll be. That's Jesse's buggy. Going into the stable there. Yeah, and there's nobody driving that buggy. 
They sure ain't. But it's Jesse's. Well, let's go over and take a look. Huh? What for, Marshal? Jesse ain't there. You too. Come on. Kind of funny. Horse and buggy and nobody driving it. I sure hope nothing's happened to Jesse. Don't you, Rod? It'll be awful. How long you men work for Jesse Wheat? Ooh, some six weeks, Marshal. He's sure a good boss. We like him fine, don't we, Rod? He treats us real good. Whose stable is this? Moss Grimmick runs it, but he's not here right now. Now, there's the buggy. Look there, Marshal. Why, it's Jesse. Well, he must be sick or something. Yeah. He's dead. He's been shot. That's terrible. Now, who'd have done that? Can't understand that horse coming back here. Why wouldn't he have gone on home to the ranch like any horse would? You say you've been working for Jesse six weeks? Well, sure. And you ought to know his brand. Hey, that ain't a XL horse. No, it isn't. Belongs to the stable here. Jesse told me last night that his horse went lame. I never noticed the horse. It don't matter, Rod. It's a good thing that horse brought him back here. Now the marshal can get to work fast and find who killed him. We'll help you, Marshal. We sure don't like old Jesse getting shot. Well, you can help me get him out of the buggy. But I'll handle the rest of it. It's not your trouble. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, what, Chester? Jesse Wheat was a whole lot older than his wife, wasn't he? Uh, didn't you ever meet her? No, sir, I never did. Yeah, Anna Wheat's about 22. Jesse was in his late 40s. Yeah. Maybe she done it. What? Killed him. Maybe it was her because he was so old and all. Chester, you remember the tracks back there just before Jesse's buggy turned around and headed back to Dodge? Oh, yeah, I forgot. They was two horses stopped it, wasn't they? That's right. Well, then it must have been them fellas, Jim Box and Rod Allison. Maybe. Oh, look, there's Anna on the porch. You must have seen us coming. Hey, she is young. I hope she's already heard about this. Well, let's get on here, Chester. Yes, sir. Hello, Anna. Hello, Marshal. Uh, Anna, this is Chester Proudfoot. How do you do? How do, Miss Wheat? Uh, did the Jim Box and Rod Allison show up yet? They told me about Jesse. He was a good man, Marshal. He treated me like a daughter. Uh, well, uh, did you know anybody who might have had a reason to kill him? Well, of course not. Jesse didn't have any enemies that I know of. Uh, how'd he get along with uh, Jim Box and Rod Allison? You don't think Rod had anything to do with it? Well, all right. What about Box? Uh, any trouble with him? He's different from Rod. I don't like him. 
But there hasn't been any trouble that I know of. Uh Uh-huh. Where are they now, Anna? Oh, they rode off somewhere, out with the cattle, I guess. Does uh, anybody else work for you? No, just them, Marshal. But they said they'd stay on here on the XL as long as I want them. And right now, with all the stock, I really need them. Yeah, sure. Will you come in for some coffee? You and Chester? Well, uh, thanks, Anna, but uh, next time, maybe, huh? We've got to get back. Well, so long. Bye, Marshal. Goodbye, Chester. Bye, Miss Lee. Well, we sure didn't learn much from her, Mr. Dillon. Uh, not much. Ain't we going to wait and talk to them two fellows again? No, it might make them jumpy, Chester. I want them to feel safe. They made one mistake. They'll make another. It was hard to believe that two cowboys like Jim Box and young Rod Allison wouldn't have noticed the horse Jesse Wheat was driving wasn't his own. But I guess when you're murdering a man, you got other things on your mind. It was a bad mistake, however. And from then on, I was ready and waiting to move on him. My first chance came about a month later, when I heard that some XL cattle had been driven to Dodge and were being sold to a buyer named Jake Worth. So Chester and I walked down to the loading pins to have a look. There's Jake over yonder, Mr. Dillon. He's talking to some fella. Yeah, that's Jim Box he's talking to, Chester. Oh, I couldn't tell with his back to us. I wonder where Rod is. Well, we'll ask him. Hello, Jake. Well, hello, Marshal. Chester. Hello, Jake. Those, uh, XL cattle you're buying? Only 30 head, Marshal. Uh-huh. Did, uh... Rod, help you drive him in, Box? Last night, Marshal. Now, where is he now? He went back to the ranch this morning. Why? Jake, uh, what are you paying for these steers? We just settled on $20, Marshal. $20. Now, it's 30 head. That'd come to uh, $600, wouldn't it? What are you trying to say, Marshal? You think there's something wrong with my selling them steers? No. No. Not as long as Anna Wheat gets the $600. Now, wait a minute here. I took it for granted she knew about this sale. You've got such a smart marshal. Take a look at this, Jake. Uh, Looks okay, marshal, but you better read it, too. Here. She's given him full authority to sell the stock and collect the money. Of course she has. Well, you're through reading, Marshal? Yeah, yeah, I'm through reading. You want to apologize? Jake. What? Anytime this man sells XL cattle to you, I want to know about it. And I'm going to tell every other buyer in Dodge the same thing. That ain't much of an apology, Marshal. Come on, Chester. See you later, Jake. Sure. My gracious, that box is awful mad, Mr. Dillon. Well, he ought to be. I just ruined his game. Yeah, but couldn't he run off with the money one of these times before you checked with Anna? Nah, he's too smart to become a cow thief for a few hundred dollars, Chester. Now, he wants more than that. Well, he can't get it now, can he? Well, he couldn't. 
How? By killing me. Uh, nothing for me, Sam, but I'll take a glass of beer over there to Miss Kitty. Uh, got it right here, sir. Okay. Yeah, it's on the house, Marshal. All right, Sam, I'll tell her that. She's the only girl in here that don't drink whiskey all night long. Well, she claims it makes her drunk. <laughs> My whiskey would make a buffalo drunk, <laughs> I'll tell her that, too. There you are, Kitty. Compliments of the house. Where's yours? No, not tonight for me. Ah. Well, place looks kind of quiet tonight. That suits me. Yeah, well, you won't get rich in an empty saloon, Kitty. I won't get old either. <laughs> Kitty, hmm? why don't you quit and marry some nice young fella and settle down on a ranch or something? Huh. Oh, what's wrong with that? I've lived on a ranch. The women work harder than the men do. Well, don't they everywhere? Not in New York. At least so I've heard. Well, why don't you go to New York, then? What are you trying to do, Matt? Get rid of me? No. No, of course not. I, uh, just like to see you happy, that's all. I'm happy. You're the one that's doing all the complaining. <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. You're like a man trying to ride two horses at once, Matt. They do that only in circuses. Not practical anywhere else. No, no, Kitty. You know I'm a simple man. Tell that to somebody who doesn't know you. Like Jake Worth. Jake Worth? No. Looks like he's come to tell you something. Oh? Mm-hmm. Uh, evening, uh, Miss Kitty. Uh, Marshal. Hello, Jake. Jake. Sit down. Thanks. It's all right to talk in front of Kitty, ain't it, Marshal? <laughs> it doesn't matter, Jake. She finds out everything anyway. Now, what's on your mind? Jim Box. Oh? Uh, remember a couple of weeks ago how you told me to report any sales of XL cattle? Yeah, sure. Well, he ain't sold none since then, but you're right. He's a crook. Well, how do you know? He come in this afternoon and offered to sell me some 500 head. That's about all the cattle Anna Wheat owns. Well, maybe she's selling out. No. Box says I can have them real cheap. Providing I don't tell you about it. Oh. Now, what did you say, Jake? Well, I said I'd take them. He's hired a couple of men from somewhere, and they're driving the herd in day after tomorrow. I told them the Santa Fe would have cattle cars ready by then. Uh Uh-huh. All right, thanks, Jake. Uh, Them two men he's hired, uh, they can probably ride good enough, but they ain't real cowboys. Well, I'll go out tomorrow and have a look at them. And I'm glad I ain't got your job. Not going against them gunmen. Come on in. How are you, Miss Wheat? What brings you out here, Marshal? Uh, where are the men, Anna? 
Oh, they're out on the prairie somewhere. They'll be in for supper. Huh? All of them? You mean both of them. Uh, Jim Box and Rod the only men here? Of course. Why? Oh, nothing, nothing. Is there something wrong, Marshal? Yeah, plenty. Then I'd better tell you something. Rod and I are going to get married. What? We fell in love when he first came here. I told Jesse about it right off. He understood. Jesse was a sick man. I guess he figured he wouldn't live very long anyway. All he asked was that we'd wait a while. But we didn't do anything wrong, Marshal. Look, Anna. I'm here to arrest Allison and Box. What? One of them murdered Jesse. They both had good reasons. Marshal, you can't. Not Rod. I know him. He wouldn't do that. Take a chair by the window, Chester. We'll wait for him. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, what, Chester? You better come here and take a look. Huh? There's three of them. Yeah. Well, they must have left one man with a herd. And it was Rod. That's Jim Box and two strangers out there. Rod isn't with them? No. Thank heaven. That's no use, Anna. We're going to have to find him anyway. Not if Jim Box kills you, you won't. Chester, hmm? take Anna out to the kitchen. If she tries to warn them, stop her. Yes, sir. I'll hide here by the door. And if they get me, you do what you can. I'm sorry, Marshal. I didn't really mean what I said. That's okay, Anna. Come on, Anna. Sure. You men wait there. I won't be long. Shoot me in the back, Marshal. Drop the gun. I don't trust you. You got him, Mr. Dillon? Get out of the way, Chester. His men will be here in a minute. Hey, they're running off. Let's go get our horses, Mr. Dillon. No, let them go, Chester. Well, we can catch them easy. I got nothing on them. It's Rod I want. Did they get away, Marshal? Now, they won't stop till they hit the Rocky Mountains, Anna. You... You killed Jim Box. Yeah, I had to. Now Rod's all alone. He's the only one left to blame it on, isn't he? I tried to take Box alive, Anna. Anna! Anna! Rod! No, Anna, wait! No! All right, careful now, Chester. You'll use her as a shield. Oh, I won't shoot, Mr. Dillon. No. Rod, what's the matter? Now what? Don't shoot him, Marshal. Well, looks like he's already been shot. Are you hurt bad, Rod? 
I ain't gonna die. He was lying on the floor here when I came in, Marshal. Got his gun, Chester. Yes, sir. I ain't gonna use my gun. Well, I'll take it anyway. Now, who shot you, Rod? Box did. But I got away. Well, why would he shoot you? I found out he was gonna steal Anna's cattle. And I started an argument. He shot me, but I got away. I was riding up from in back there when I... When I heard the shooting. You see, Marshal, Rod hasn't done anything. Rod, who killed Jesse? What difference does it make? You'll never believe me anyway now. Don't talk like that. Tell him. They'll hang me, Anna. I never done it, but they'll hang me anyway now. Marshal? Yeah. Is that true? What he says? I could be. If I charged him with it. Well, what are you going to do, Marshal? Tell me. I'm going to leave Chester here to help you take care of him till I send Doc out. And when he's well, well, you bring him into Dodge. You mean to jail? Well, you might stop by. That is, if you want me at the wedding. Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Handley and Ray Kemper. Featured in the cast were Sam Edwards, Eleanor Cannon, Vic Perrin, Don Diamond, and Frank Cady. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Listen to Chesterfield's two great radio shows every week. The Perry Como Show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And Dragnet, Tuesday nights on another network. Remember, listen again next week for another transcribed story of the Western Frontier when Marshal Matt Dillon, Chester Proudfoot, Doc, and Kitty, together with all the other hard-living citizens of Dodge, will be with you once more. It's America growing west in the 1870s. It's drama. It's gun smoke. Brought to you by L&M Filter. This is the CBS Radio Network. From January 1955, that was Gunsmoke, and the name of that episode was Young Love. They say for every boy and girl there's just one love in this whole world And I know I found mine 
The heavenly touch of your embrace tells me no one could take your place ever in my heart. Young Just one kiss from your sweet lips will tell me that your love is real And I can feel that it's true We will vow to one another there will never be another love for you or for me Chester is waving at me frantically, letting me know that we're all out of time. So I'm going to pick up all of these shows here and transport them back into the vault. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. It sure has been a pleasure to have you along this week. And we'll be back next week with the Archive Show. And in two weeks with an all-new show. Chester, your lips don't look blue anymore. You've got color back in your cheeks. You're going to be okay? He gives me a thumbs up. And I hope you all are keeping warm and keeping dry. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back when we get together next time. This is Bob Bro. I am so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me. She was sitting cross-legged on the hood of the fort, filing down her nails with an emery board, talking to her friends about people they knew. And all of the things that young girls do When she said you see that guy in the baseball cap I'd like to spend some time with a boy like that But Betty said I've seen him at the hardware store I think his name is Billy 
I'm not sure As they talked a little while He passed by She smiled at him He just said hi he was thinking to himself as he walked away Man, I'd like to find a girl, her someday Young love, strong love, true love It's a new love him again. She had both hands full. He held open the door. He said, my name is Billy. I've seen you before. Can I help you with these? Can I give you a ride? Can I take you out on Saturday night? She didn't have to say what she was feeling inside. He could see the answer shining in her eyes. Finding down her nails with an emery board 